Good morning. Um, I probably know a good number of you, but some of you I don't. So for those of you who don't know me, you'll now know that I'm married to Al. Um, and we've got three lovely children. Uh, we're part of the leadership team and we also head up the student work, which means that we get to spend loads of time hanging out with this lovely bunch, largely on this side of the, the room. Um, yeah, great. <laughs> um, all of these things are things that both stretch us and bring us amazing amounts of joy. So it's a good mix. Um, I'm going to read the passage. If you would like to follow along, it's, we're doing 1 Thessalonians 5. I'm going to read verses 16 to 28. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all of God's people with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. I love this passage and I've had the perhaps more common than is comfortable experience of having the real challenge of actually trying to walk through these verses in the few days leading up to speaking about it. And um, so that's been, that's been a challenge. God is living and active and we want to respond to him. So as part of rounding up this series on 1 Thessalonians, which was Paul's letter to the fledgling church that he'd planted and then had to leave, we remember that, that this church was first planted because God did a work in those people. And we've heard quite a lot over recent weeks and months, particularly if you've had the pleasure of listening to Rich Colbrook talk about evangelism, that actually what we shouldn't be doing is do something and seek to have God involved with us. But actually what we should be doing is seeking what God is doing, where he's doing it, and um, looking to get involved in that. And that is what this letter is about. Paul is speaking to this church, which has been set up because of the move of God. So I'm not going to comprehensively cover the whole passage, but I'm going to look particularly at the first two sections of it. But, so delve right in. We've got rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. Um, I'm going to um, think about this in two different contexts. So um, actually, this, this was part of a letter that was written and to be read to the whole community, the community as a whole. So I want to start by just thinking about the, the communal um, application of this, and then I want to draw it out a bit further and think about actually how this applies to us in our individual works as well. So the whole community would have gathered together, eager to hear uh, what Paul had to say. And he starts with the command to engage in joyful worship. Uh, Paul knew the inexpressible joy that comes through life with Christ. And he's reminding the church to rejoice in this. Uh, What does this look like for us? This looks like sharing testimony of what God's doing in our lives and rejoicing together. 
Um, we've actually been doing that quite a lot recently. Um, for those of you who have been here before and haven't heard it uh, being spoken about, um, we have been doing the turning recently, which is where we go out one Saturday a month and just share with people on the streets of Oxford about the fact that God loves them and has an amazing plan for their lives. And we've just been sharing about that. And so quite often the next day after that, we'll have some people standing up and just sharing some of the joy of the conversations that they've had on the streets with people. But we also, um, we've gone in fits and starts, but there's been a fair amount of sharing testimonies of people healed and situations transformed and um, God breaking in. And so actually that, that all provokes us to worship together. Uh, uh, Paul tells these people to pray regularly and to include prayer as an indispensable part of their meeting together. So actually there's, there's opportunities for us to engage in prayer together quite regularly. We meet at 10 before the uh, meetings and, uh, sorry, before the Sunday morning meetings and we pray together before that. Um, there are often, uh, there's, there's meetings within the week um, for various different prayer needs. Um, there are also um, bi-monthly weeks of prayer that we've been engaging with as a church um, where there are opportunities during those weeks to um, gather together and just engage in prayer again together. Um, but actually, there's a call here to, to pray with each other when we, when we meet with each other. When you have a coffee with a friend, there's like praying with them. When, when you share a need and just stopping and praying then and there, there's just a provocation to keep praying. And then there's a call to give thanks in every circumstance. It is important to note here that, God, um, that Paul does not say give thanks for every circumstance. There are circumstances that, that we don't need to give thanks for, but, but there is the call to give thanks in every circumstance. One of the commentaries wrote, This is not a sugar-coated call for putting on a happy face in the midst of difficulties. Here is a church that's undergoing severe hardship because of its faith in Christ. God's will for such a community is that, as a matter of first importance, they continue to exalt Christ by rejoicing with him as the focus. So there's a call to acknowledge the challenge and then choose to rejoice because he is worthy. This is borne out in times of corporate joy, like today, getting to... Um, join with Judith as she got baptized uh, and celebrate together as a church family. But it's also borne out in times of corporate sorrow. Like a few weeks ago, there was the news of Pammy Green and John Bickford, who'd both passed away. Um, and there's, there's the joining together in corporate sadness and yet thanksgiving that they both had a secure and established future with God. So it's clear from what Paul says that these three principles should come out strongly in the time we spend together. But actually, these three principles are ever so key for our own individual walks with God. Um, and to take a question from the Discovery Bible study, what would, what would it look like if people actually practiced this? Um, and I was pondering this, and I, I truly believe that if we really, really grabbed this and put this into practice, it would be utterly transformative. If we were constantly rehearsing the joy of our own salvation in Jesus, if we were bringing everything to him in prayer, and we were finding things in every circumstance to be thankful for, that would be extraordinarily distinctive. Like, how different would we be at the school gate, at work, at the shops, when talking to our colleagues, when with our families, if actually that had really taken root in our heart? So just taking these three principles again, rejoice 
always. The dictionary defines rejoice as to feel or show great delight. And actually in this passage, Paul's emphasis is on the expression of joy more than the feeling of joy. I can remember a few years ago, we had some friends coming to stay with us and one of them remarked that I was remarkably patient with our children. And I can remember thinking, how on earth can he say that? I feel so enraged sometimes and I can feel it boiling up in me. And actually I went away and I looked up patience in the diary, uh, in the diary, in the dictionary. And it was all about the outward expression and nothing at all about how you were feeling inside. And that, oh, that brought me so much comfort because actually you could be boiling away inside, but actually if you are managing to speak calmly and kindly to your children, then you are still um, showing patience. And actually, it's in the same way here. This is about showing joy. Uh, It's about, and it's not about a forced, disingenuous joy that we kind of do through gritted teeth. It's not about that at all. It's about training our hearts to live with an attitude of worship. One of um, the commentaries said, to rejoice always is to see the hand of God in whatever is happening and remain certain of God's future salvation. And that Paul encourages a stable and deep-rooted joy which enables them to cope with disappointments and see them in their true perspective. It's about giving concrete expressions to our conviction that our Lord is indeed king and that he will come to take us to be with him for eternity. Like truly taking hold of these of this principle, it changes us because it means that everything that we're walking through, we see within the context of God being on the throne and that changes stuff. I would note though, this is a command and it's a command because it's not easy to do. Um, it's a choice and it's hard. And doing this, it builds maturity in us because it's, it's not the first thing that comes to mind when we're walking through challenging times to just to just rejoice actually it's it's a choice and actually in preparing for this yesterday I was not feeling very rejoiceful if that's a word yesterday I was we've been having a really challenging uh, situation with one of Florence's um, people who's working with her and that was really weighing on me we've just decided that we need to move house in order to uh, be somewhere that we can adapt for Florence's needs um, for for a wheelchair at some point Um, I was feeling there were just lots of things going on in my mind I was not feeling full of joy and I sat down to um, just go over this and felt like the nudge of God so you're gonna rejoice (laughs) I was not enjoying that and actually do you know what I put on I was thinking about rejoice and I um I put on a wonderful 80s Graham Kendrick song because it just came into my head that you know the rejoice rejoice Christ is in you and it just I listened to that and um started crying because the words in it are just amazing I'll just read you the last who thought I'd have quoted Graham Kendrick here hey (laughs) Some good stuff there. Though we are weak, his grace is everything we need. We're made of clay, but this treasure is within. He turns our weaknesses into his opportunities so that the glory goes to him. What words? So we have reason to rejoice, even on days where you're not feeling like it. Number two, pray continually. No, I've done it the wrong way around, sorry. There we go. And we'll explain this picture in a minute. So I love this verse because in typical Paulian style, he sets the bar very high. He doesn't say, try and pray for at least five minutes a day. 
you, if you pray, if you have a quiet time twice in a week for 15 minutes, you're doing all right. He says, pray continually. It just goes in there. And I also love this verse because I love prayer. I love talking about prayer. And I will start off with a caveat that I am preaching to myself here. I pray more than I did and not half as much as I would like to. I remember being struck by chatting to Pat, someone who used to be at our church a number of years ago. He was a very prayerful lady, and she said to me, pray that you'd be more prayerful. That's my top bit of advice. Pray that you'd have a praying church. Pray that you'd be more prayerful. And actually, that's something I've held close to me over, over the years since she said it. And a few weeks ago, a couple of months ago, actually, some of us went to um, a fusion student conference, um, and we went to this fabulous talk on persevering in prayer. And the top thing that this guy said, again, that just really stuck with me, is if you want to have a good prayer life, then get hungry for God. Because if you're first hungry for him, then that hunger will spill over into your prayer life, and you will um, be fueled by that. And he then drops the clangor. Your hunger for him is proven by your prayer lives. Your hunger for him is proven by your prayer lives. Wow. I'm someone who likes to get really practical. So I want to share a few ideas. How can we pray continually? What can we do in our lives that um, will provoke us to pray at all times? Um, Some of these ideas will probably really resonate with you. Others of them just won't. So take the ones that stick and leave the others. Um, And sometimes things will work for a season and then they won't. And just just move on and find something else that works for you then. Um, So worship often. This could be at a piano, you know, playing worship music. This could be listening to CDs and just singing as you're doing the cooking. This could be going for a walk and getting into nature and just marveling at the beauty of um, our creator gods. It could be painting. It could, like, whatever works for you, whatever provokes worship in your heart and makes you just want to praise God, then do it uh, because it will fuel you to pray. Um, it shouldn't be something that is laborious. If it feels like that, then do something different. I love putting on um, CDs or um, on YouTube, there's a lot of live worship sets from some churches, and I just put them on, and I just love it. It makes my heart just sing. So that works for me. Um, Get into the Word. So read the Bible. Marinate in it. Let verses just roll around in your mind and ponder them as the day goes on, Um, memorize scripture. Um, You might be the kind of person who likes to do a Bible in a year plan. There's loads of apps out there. There are are apps that you can get on your phone that tell you what to read, when to read it. Um, There's so many different resources out there to help us with reading the Bible. Um, But get the Bible into you. It is the word of God, and it does us good. And there are so many examples of things that we can just pray. If we don't know what to pray, then let's just start by taking Bible passages and praying them. Um, Paul has a lot of really great prayers. Um, Ephesians 1, I'll just read a couple of verses. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance and his inca- uh, um, in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That's a good starter for 10. Like, there are plenty of other ones like that. If you don't know what to pray, then just get into the Bible and there's stuff there that will fuel your prayers. 
Log your prayers and your answers. So recently, I was challenged, um, something someone said sometime, about we are often lacking in gratitude for answers to prayer because we don't actually make note of what we've prayed, and then we forget to thank God when he answers them. So I started this a month or two ago, and I have... um, a one line for the prayers and the and I date the prayers when I write them and then another line for the answers and I am fully expecting to see a good number of these have answers beside them and some of them do already and I'm writing everything in here from um you know my grandmother's dog who was um who decided to get into a packet of ibuprofen and then was very poorly at the vets to um you know I've, I've got a big prayer that freshers that, that not a single fresher would turn away from their faith while they're during their time at university but all of them would flourish in God I am not necessarily expecting to be able to write an answer to that one but in having all these written down I um, take it with me in my bag and then when I've got a few minutes here or there I get it out and just start somewhere and just I'm praying down the list and I'm writing answers in there and it is giving me a testimony of thanks because I can see all of these prayers that God's already answered so make a note of them and then Thank him for the things that he does. Pray for those around you. Ask God who you should be praying for. Sounds like an obvious one, but sometimes you ask him and then people that you wouldn't be expecting come to mind and actually, you know, write them down and pray for them. People that you're walking with who know Jesus, but, you know, actually could maybe do with some encouragement. Those you're leading, those who lead you, church leaders, Leaders of our country, world leaders, goodness knows we could be doing with praying for world leadership at the moment. Your family, those who don't yet know Jesus, have some lists and just pray, pray, pray. And this will also encourage you, as a side note, to be more intentional about spending time with them. Because if you're spending time praying for people, you want to check in with them and see how they're doing. So, yeah. I've been really amazed, actually, about, well, since, since trying to be more precise and intentional with praying for things just how much changes so lots of you will know Florence our three-year-old but she has a profound disability and um actually I don't have the faith to pray every day that God would heal her that's just a bit too big but I felt about six weeks ago like God gave me the real faith to start praying for her aura motor skills so the the muscles in her mouth um, the speech and language therapist have been saying oh I'm a bit concerned that sometimes food goes down the wrong way and and I thought right okay I'll pray for that. That gives me something to pray for. So every day, I just pray for Florence's aura motor skills. And stuff started to change. She's eating better. And she started, like, trying to talk. She started trying to make uh, sounds. Her mouth is making sounds that she wasn't before. Do you know what? This is because God's doing stuff. So um, let's just be precise and pray. Let's just commit stuff to him with pray. And let's thank him when we see stuff. Let's bless what he's doing and ask him to keep doing it. Praying in tongues. So for those of you who are not sure, um, the Bible talks about um, when we don't know what to pray, the Spirit intercedes with us with um, groans that we do not understand. Um, there's uh, being filled with the Spirit. Sometimes God, or often, God gives the gifts of tongues. So just praying in a language you don't even necessarily understand. Um, this is a great way of engaging with God at a heart level when you're just going about your daily life. Um, 
It's a gift. Use it. You know, it's not something to be left on the shelf and and to get dusty. Um, This is something you can do when you're walking along the road, something I do when I'm driving or when I'm cooking or when I'm listening to worship music. Um, It is a great way of just praying and having God just inhabit us as we are living our daily lives. I would say, ask for the gift if you don't have it, but you will need to be prepared to feel a bit foolish because God will very unlikely just give it to you in such an extent that it will just torrent out of your mouth without you having to first um, take that step of feeling like a complete wally and opening your mouth and thinking, what on earth am I doing? Um, But it's it's well worth the um, step of faith. Practicing the presence. There's a wonderful book called... um, Practicing the Presence of God. Uh, brother Lawrence, he was a, 16, um, a, uh, sorry, a lay brother in a Carmelite monastery in the 1600s. And um, he wrote um, a lot about practicing the presence of God. I believe the story was that he um, particularly wanted to be serving in the, uh, sort of with the worship and in the sanctuary in this monastery. And he was put on kitchen duty. And he was a bit miffed about that. And actually, God really changed his heart, and he started to realize that he could encounter God just as powerfully when chopping vegetables and preparing food in the kitchen as he could when worshiping in the temple. And, and he just cultivated um, the presence of God with him wherever he went. This brings me to my large pile of laundry. One of the places where I most pray is when I'm folding laundry. Sometimes the spare room feels like it looks like that. Um, five of us, uh, how can we go through so many clothes? But um, actually, it's a great time. Doing menial tasks that don't really involve very much brain power is a great time. I get my book, get my list of people, and just um, bring them before God. It's a great way to use the time uh, when you're cooking. All sorts of different times that you can do that. Um, pray for a greater awareness of his presence is one of the things that Brother Lawrence said. So let's just pray that as we're going about our lives, Father, would you give me a greater awareness of your presence? And lastly on this section, pray with others. My mum is one of the people who inspires me the most in this. Mum and uh, her friend called Sue, they've been meeting together every other Monday for the last 33 years, I believe, pretty much without fail. And they get together, have lunch and pray. Whenever I asked, I rang my, uh, texted mum recently and was like, please pray for this house move. And she was like, me and Sue have been praying for that for months, love. And I was like, oh, great. And she just, it's just a faithful thing. She just get together every other Monday and just pray for all the things, pray for all the important people in their lives. They have prayed, each of us, through primary school, secondary school, um, you know, teenage years, finding husbands, pregnancies, difficult pregnancies, challenges with our jobs, just you name it. They have prayed us all through that. Ruth and I have started getting together every, um, well, every Monday, every other Monday to pray for the students. Uh, we don't just pray for the students, but it was a great provocation. We were like, let's just get together and pray for the students. And we usually, because we're both relational people, we usually get together and share a bunch of what's going on in our lives and pray for that too. And actually, that's been a great source of life. So find people that you can pray with and just pray. Let's not be paralyzed by the enormity of all the things we can pray for. Let's just start a small bit at a time and ask God to guide us. Give thanks in all circumstances. John Stott said, thankfulness ought always to characterize the people of God. 
And there's a nice Christian jargon that says, let's have an attitude of gratitude. I like a bit of rhyming. Uh, but Paul practiced what he preached in this regard. Um, if you look at his letter, they, letters, they are littered with thanksgiving. Ephesians 1, for this reason I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in all my prayers. Philippians 1, I thank my God every time I remember you. Colossians 1, we, thank, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. Give thanks in all circumstances. There are people, there's always going to be somebody that you know who really lives this out. Excuse me. And one of the people that I know who lives this out just amazingly is Michelle Price. Um, she and her family are in, live in West Africa, serving a people group there and just loving them. And um, I was chatting to her recently and said, so what do you do to train yourself in Thanksgiving? And she pondered it and she said, well, I, may, I write down five things every day that I'm thankful for, five specific things. Um, I write it on my calendar when I think about it. So um, it's anything from, you know, I'm, today I'm really thankful for these crispy red peppers from the markets or I'm thankful for the way that the sun looks on the sand at the moment. Um, but that, that builds up, again, a testimony of thanksgiving, whatever the situation that is going on. And she's done that for the last few years. And my goodness, does that show? Because when you talk to her, it bubbles up. She just, there's just thanksgiving and everything that she says. Um, every challenging situation. She doesn't, you know, when you talk to her, she's not living on another planet. She's very real about the struggle she's going through. But she shares it with thanksgiving. And that is a training thing. This is not something, can I just say at this point, this is not something, you're not either a thankful person or you're not. Let's not say, oh, well, I'm just, I'm just naturally not that way inclined. Well, you train yourself. And it is a mark of maturity. There are some gifts in the Bible that God just gives, and they are sort of supernatural things. I'm sure that maybe he does do that in this, but actually there's an active choice to be thankful in all of these situations. That, that builds over time and actually builds character. So let's train ourselves to do that. Ephesians 4:29 says, "Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen." Colossians 4:6 says, "Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone." What's our conversation like? Those two aren't specifically about Thanksgiving, but actually I think it all goes together. So it's worth saying that whilst these three instructions, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, they are all separate and standalone, but I believe they all just feed into each other. You are far more likely to be able to give thanks in every circumstance if you soak your heart in worship and if you spend your time in constant communication with God. It is a lot more easy to um, have conversation that is full of grace, that is thankful, that is wholesome, and it is benefiting to those who listen. I was really struck by this quote, and I want to use this to kind of finish talking about this part of the, the passage. Do we truly believe that God's salvation is of more value than the cost of persecution that comes as a result of accepting the gospel? Then let us demonstrate that conviction by rejoicing in the midst of it. Are we really persuaded that God will indeed deliver his people and bring justice on their behalf? 
Then let us pray with persistence and patience, waiting and watching expectantly for God to act. Are we genuinely convinced that in all things God works for the good of those who love him? Then let us demonstrate that conviction by giving thanks in all circumstances. Um, The second chunk of this passage is quite different in nature, and yet both of them, um, I think, kind of together are um, about how we can grow in the spirit. So that first part is about really practically how can we train ourselves to grow in the spirit. But the second part of it is is looking actually at the area of prophecy. Um, It is about um, not quenching the spirit. I want to start off, though, by just defining what we mean by prophetic, because for some of you, um, prophecy will conjure up anything from Old Testament oracles um, to crazy websites with flashing text telling us that the world's going to end on Tuesday. Um, So let's just demystify this. And for the sake of clarity, when I'm speaking about prophecy today, what I mean is the speaking out of words that are from God. So um, there are a number of different ways that happens. Some of them are when you just feel a real clarity and um, urge to read a particular portion of scripture, often referring to a particular event or something. Um, It could be receiving visions or dreams. Sometimes it's hearing the audible word of God. I have to say, certainly in the Western church, that is less common, but it still happens. Sometimes it's having a picture drop into your mind. Um, Essentially, it is God putting things in our mind and us speaking them out. So from that context, in these next few verses, Paul is cautioning the Thessalonians to walk the narrow path between the two wrong extremes of either using prophecy to justify poor behavior, and in that way, I mean prophecy, not, not really words from God, and the swing back response of quenching the spirits and becoming closed to or despising anything prophetic. And we often see this, don't we, as a result of things. You sort of go from one extreme to the other. Um, Paul highlights that they need to correct, um, sorry, they need to avoid correcting abuse by commanding disuse. And the main principles that he advocates are, advocates are don't quench the spirit and don't treat prophecies with contempt. So what does this mean, don't quench the spirit? Well, are we in our churches, in our homes, in our small groups, just as ourselves, are we providing an atmosphere for the Holy Spirit to flow freely and to thrive? I remember a story of a a chap who was involved in a church in France, and at the time where the Toronto um, blessing came, so for those of you who don't know, that was in the 90s, and there was sort of a real outpouring of the manifest presence of God. And this church just decided that this was not of God, and that they were not um, they were not welcoming of this. And actually, over the next few years, um, looking back at it, they realized that the whole church had um, stopped functioning in gifts of the Spirit. Just there was, there was an unwelcomeness to the, gift, to, to the Holy Spirit that had come as a result of sort of decreeing that that wasn't of God. Are we, are we giving the space? Are we welcoming the Holy Spirit in our meetings, in our lives, in our homes? How can we make sure that we're welcoming the Holy Spirit? 
Uh, 1 Corinthians 14, 26 talks about um, people coming together to build up the church. And it talks about one bringing a tongue, another bringing a prophecy. And there's a sense of people coming together corporately to, to strengthen the church. What, what can we be doing? How, you know, let's each be thinking, how can I be building up the church? I guess it's praying, praying before you come on a Sunday. God, do you want me to share anything? Um, it's overcoming those butterflies that start bubbling up in you when you think, oh, I might have something to share. And you kind of feel a bit sick at the idea of sharing something from the front. But what can we be doing to build up the church and kind of let the spirit flow? The second one, apologies for the photo, Al found it and I thought it was great. Don't treat prophecy with contempt. How do you find a good photo for contempt? Like, um, Honour the word of God and acknowledge that God still speaks today through humans. I would like to point out really strongly at this point that we are not called to treat prophecy in the same way that we treat scripture. Like, that's just, just not the case. We are not called to weigh and test scripture. It is something that we can hold everything else to as a plumb line. Um, it is the inspired and infallible word of God. But we believe that God speaks through us, through humans today, and, um, and that we're imperfect, and sometimes we get it wrong, or sometimes we share it in a way that doesn't quite communicate the heart of things. So it's really key that we listen with honor and respect and take these prophecies to God and weigh them. So what does that look like practically? Um, I guess a few things I'd say in terms of weighing prophecies is the first one is, is it in line with scripture? Because if it's, in, if it's not, just, just discard it. God doesn't say one thing in scripture and then, and then prophesy something else. That's just not the case. Um, but if it is in line with scripture, um, then there are a few other things we need to just, just think about as we weigh stuff. So um, if we're trying to work out sort of how much to weigh prophecy, one of the things we consider is, is it edifying? And by edifying, we mean, is it encouraging? Does it build you up? Um, this is a little bit nuanced and just worth spending a moment on. Um, sometimes things that build us up aren't necessarily nice to hear and don't instantly seem to be edifying. Um, but when you reflect on them um, or bring them to God or pray about them with someone else, you actually realize that there's truth there and it brings about change that is good and right. A few years ago, uh, Simon and Carol had reason to actually just challenge Al and I about um, how we were looking after the kids with something. And it was just awful to hear. It was so mortifying to have people that kind of bring some sort of correction or criticism. And yet, it brought really good fruit in us because they were absolutely right. And we needed to hear it, and it, it meant that we could then correct things and change things. And they loved us and cared us well enough to, actually, it can't have been that nice for them to say. They loved us and cared about us enough to bring that corrective word. And sometimes uh, God does that. We're his children. He cares about us, and he has to be able to bring words that um, actually correct us. I'm sure any parents out there might occasionally have um, done that. Certainly we do it once or twice every so often. Um, so bring things though before God don't just swallow them and be like oh this is definitely right like, bring things before God weigh them with a friend you know go and talk to your spouse about it or your friend or your personal pastor and say look I've had this word and you know it, it, it'll become clear whether it's right or not 
But on the other hand, sometimes people prophesy things uh, which are lovely and fluffy and seem to be really encouraging, but actually just aren't quite right either. Um, and actually, I've, I've done that before. In the, I can remember one time having a picture for some people about God asking them to put their lives on the altar. And it was something that was going to be costly and quite painful. And yet he was showing them that it was not unseen. And I really lacked the boldness to share it like that and sort of did share the picture, but with a sort of um, mumbling about God just sees what you do and it's valuable to him. And actually, um, at a later point, came and shared when these guys had gone away down the line of pouring out their lives on the altar in a way that was costly and challenging to them, kind of admitted that I had just not had the courage to share that. Um, but it lacked, it lacked the punch that it would have done had I shared it when God gave it to me in the way that he first shared it to me. So weigh things with people that you know and bring them before God. I would say briefly that the person who is prophesying, um, it feeds into it. If it's somebody that you know and trust and who regularly shares things, um, then you can probably be a bit more confident at the outset that probably what they've got is um, accurate. If it's somebody you don't know, then just you know take a bit more time to um, weigh it. In this context, we remember Paul's instruction to hold on to what is good and then reject what is evil. If it's not from God, just let it go. Uh, at this point, let's just briefly return to Paul's instruction. Don't quench the spirit. Elsewhere, he talks about eagerly desiring gifts of the spirit. So let's not kind of, let's not be so keen not to, uh, to avoid doing it wrong that we don't do it at all. Paul says, don't quench the spirit. Eagerly desire to prophesy. So do you prophesy? If so, ask God how you can use it more to strengthen the church. And if not, then eagerly desire it. Ask God for the gift and then get alongside people who are going to train you and prod you into using it a bit more. I can remember probably 10 or 12 years ago now, sitting in Simon and Carol's lounge after dinner, and neither Al or I prophesied much and were very you know, confident in this. And they sat down and went, right, pick four people. We're going to pray for each of them. We're going to spend two minutes listening. You're going to get a word, and we're going to write it down, and we'll move on to the next one. I can remember being like, oh, my goodness, that's just, how can you do that? And yet we did it, and we were in a safe environment, and it pushed us out of our comfort zone. And actually, it built real confidence in us. So kind of put yourself alongside people who are going to train you and prod you. Um, when we do that and when we put ourselves in situations that are out of our comfort zone, we, we grow. It's like in weightlifting. You know, you can lift a light weight lots of times and it really not build any muscle. But the muscle's built when you lift that weight, which is just uncomfortable and too heavy. So I'm aware that this has been a, a talk of two quite disparate halves in some ways. But, you know, that's what Paul brought to us. Um, the first of living worshipful lifestyles of thanksgiving and prayer. And the second is stewarding the gift of prophecy well. And in a moment, I'm just going to hand over to Steve, who's going to lead us in a response. Um, but I'd like to end by using Paul's words as a prayer. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Amen.